0: This is Good People Talk, where GPF grantees talk about how positive vision and commitment uplift lives and communities. In western Pennsylvania, outside Pittsburgh, Giselle Fetterman and Kristen Michaels are doing just that. The founders of For Good PGH are injecting hope and aspiration to residents of once thriving but now under-resourced Braddock and surrounding communities. For Good PGH is creating a culture of care, compassion, inclusivity, and empowerment. Visit goodpeoplefund.org or forgoodpgh.org for more info. Here's Giselle and Kristen with GPF Executive Director, Naomi Eisenberger.
1: Giselle and Kristen, you have created something I think very unique. In Braddock, Pennsylvania, something not only unique, but extraordinarily impactful for the residents of that area. Tell us a little bit about Braddock and the extraordinary challenges that are endemic there.
2: Sure. Braddock is a a really special community. At one point, everyone knew about Braddock, especially out in this area. It was the place to go for everything. It's where Andrew Carnegie started his first mill, arguably, you know, the richest, most impactful man who ever lived at one point. Everything good happened here. There were, within one square mile, there were multiple theaters and fur stores and the best of the best was here. And no one thought this could ever fail we look at many other big cities and you think oh the wealth is so great here this could never change but the reality is with lack of investment and lack of love and support things do fail and people do fail and places do fail and that's exactly what happened here the industrialization set in malls were being built many more people were moving into areas like the suburbs as well as the crack epidemic all happened at the same time so Those three things together really devastated this community, and it lost 90% of its population within five to 10 years. So it went from a 20,000-person high-density community to less than 2,000 residents, and that's when violence and drugs set in because you have unemployment, you have drugs running rampant, and all of these things really caused a big devastation to our community.
1: I hadn't realized that it was as big as that at one time
2: everyone who could afford to leave left. So you were left with these two groups, either I'm never leaving or I can't leave. And our goal was always to create a space where those who left wanted to come back and were proud to come back. And that we were more than just two categories, right? Like how do you create amenities for who stayed behind? And how do you show those who left that this is a place still worthy of of you living here, of you working here, of you playing here?
1: How did you end up there,
2: Giselle? You know, I came to this country as a young immigrant. I think my mom was pretty impulsive. I probably get that from her. Um, (laughs) We moved kind of overnight to America. And I I think I've carried her spirit, which is how I ended up before Braddock in Newark, New Jersey. Ultimately in Braddock, I think I was always, uh, always had a bit of wanderlust, was always searching for my, my place. But I always wanted to live in places where, just living there makes a difference. Just buying a home there makes a difference. Just paying taxes there makes a difference. And Newark was where I was drawn to for a while and worked there, had a nonprofit there. And Braddock was kind of a similar journey. I read an article about Braddock. What drew me to Braddock at the time was abandonment. I had never experienced abandonment. I've always lived in big cities. And this idea of you fleeing your home And everyone of your neighbors doing the same at the same time was really, it wasn't something I could picture. How do you walk away from your home and leave behind your wedding pictures and your children's rooms? I mean, that's what people did. People left with what was on their body and left their entire lives behind. So I I read about this community. I studied more about it. And I wrote a letter to the borough of Braddock and shared that I wanted to visit and, and see it up close and learn from it. And my husband now, who at the time was mayor, received my letter, called me, and I came to visit. And then of course, of course, he fell (laughs) madly in love with me when I arrived. And that's
1: how I got to (laughs) arrive. Tell us a little bit about For Good PGH. Took me a while to realize (laughs) after I connected with you both, I said, no, wait a minute. Well, what's the Free Store? What's the Hollander Project? So, we have a
0: branding problem. We're working on yeah, it. Yeah, you do. Um, For Good ca- happened because Giselle and I became very close. We did then and we still now just talk all day long. Giselle and I go back and forth between talking about really sad, you know, social issues to being like, did you see Below Deck last night? You know, we knew that we had something that we needed to capitalize on because we both care so passionately about the same things. And so in 2016, we started talking about doing something together. We didn't know what that would look like. We had a million different ideas. We bought five different websites because we were like, we're gonna do this and we're gonna name it this. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. this." And finally in uh, 2017, I, I remember I had this moment of being like, okay, we're never gonna do anything because I knew Giselle well enough at this point that we're never gonna do anything if it's something that's restrictive because Giselle comes every other day with a new idea and something that, you know, we want to tackle and move on to. So the idea of for good happened because we were like, we need something vague, something, you know, an umbrella that we can do all sorts of different things under. So that I remember saying, Giselle, I I remember saying like, what about this? You know, and it's, and it's vague and we know it's vague. And what can we do? Is, Is that okay? Can you have an organization that just is Is says we're going to do good, and what can we do with that? So we we started with that, the idea that it was an organization that was going to do good. What does that mean? You know, we'll figure it out. That's how it started. And then our first initiative was actually Hello Hijab. Do you, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think this is what this is ADHD in action. Like this is what, <laughs> this is how
2: I, uh, <laughs> an organization with ADHD works. It was like, let's just create an umbrella where we could do a ton of different things and not limit ourselves or, or feel trapped to one thing because we care a lot of, about a lot of different things. And also the needs change. A lot of our work is reactionary. You know, we hope to get to a place where we can build from scratch, but I think right now we're still putting out constant fires, but at least now we have the foundation to be able to do that. So Hello Hijab was our launch initiative under For Good. It was the height of the Muslim travel ban. It was our Muslim friends having personal attacks against them, and it was feeling utterly helpless and hopeless at times. You know, you feel really small when there's such a global issue to tackle, like, a Muslim travel ban against our Muslim neighbors. And the way that I usually work is like, I cry for a few days, you know, I really feel it. I really let it travel through me. And hopefully the inspiration comes from there. And I probably called Kristen in the middle of the night or like text her in the middle of the night. And was like, okay, this. I know what we're going to do. So the idea was, we know we can't always reach adults. I believe in second chances. I don't believe anyone is irredeemable, but sometimes you can't reach them and maybe we can start with kids. And Hello Hijab was a way to diversify playtime. What we did is we created Barbie-sized hijabs, which is the head covering many Muslim women wear. And we would show children that, you know, here is your Barbie doll. Here is your Barbie doll with a headscarf. It has not changed your doll. And before we did that, uh, I reached out and met with several Muslim organizations in the area. And I asked a lot of questions, I said, You know, did you have a doll that looked like you when you were a child? Did you have representation in playtime? Like, did you have this? And we had grandparents that would say, I didn't. But thanks to this, my granddaughter now will. And once we had buy-in from our local Muslim partners, we knew we had something good. And Hello Hijab was born. It quickly went viral (laughs) and national and international letters and emails from all over the world came in saying like, I just told my friend at school that I have a doll that's beautiful like her, or this doll looks like my friend's grandparents. You know, it was really amazing. And it showed that this little nonprofit in Braddock, PA had a voice, found a way to make its voice known. And eventually Mattel, because Mattel had never made a Barbie with a hijab. You know, multi billion dollar company. But they finally came out with a, it was that Olympian who wears a hijab. They made a doll for her. And they were not able to say they were the first ones who did it. We actually were in, in stories with Mattel where they said actually the first hijabi doll was by a nonprofit in Braddock called Hello Hijab. Right.
1: <laughs> that was what, two, 2017? 2017.
0: It it felt like something that needed to be done. And I credit Giselle for this. I am certainly more of the worrier and the how are we going to do this? And what's the end game? And what's the next step? And Giselle's like, let's just do it. And we did. And looking back on it, because we still have Hello Hijab, we still sell them. We never, you know, we never scaled it. We never made it this giant thing. But For me, it was a really good lesson of that wasn't the point, right? The point was to make sure this was available. The point was to spread this message. A point that we hadn't thought about was it really also put for good on the map. And because of that, people and organizations and foundations started reaching out to us, which opened the door for us to have some credibility as, you know, as a partnership and as an organization and helped us launch the rest of the stuff we've been able to do since
2: still today, like I'll have someone who will stop me at Costco and will say, Hey, I never even knew that's what it was called. Like, I never knew it was called a hijab, you know? So it provided such education. Schools all over the country, including New York, ordered hijabs for their schools,
1: for their play spaces.
2: That's incredible. And, you know, we really launched with
0: with a bang.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. Let's talk a little bit about the Hollander Project and the Free Store.
0: Yeah. So a local business owner who owned a property that was unused. It was empty. It had been empty for years. And he had approached Giselle and said, you know, I have this space. I feel badly that it's not, you know, contributing in any way. If you have an idea, you know, let me know and let's talk that conversation from him turned into a conversation between Giselle and I, and then a quick, really quick brainstorm and a pitch to a funder about What if we created a space that was specifically to support female entrepreneurs from Braddock and the surrounding communities? We know this doesn't exist. We know the talent is there. We know so many women who have these little businesses in their homes that can't afford, you know, an office. And what if we create that? And so that was the idea. And then it went really quickly from there.
1: What kinds of businesses are housed in the Hollander? They're so different. These women are so
2: creative and amazing. So there is a makeup artist. There is an eyelash extension person, like an esthetician. She's busy every day of the week. We have a Black mental health specialist. We have a group that works with sex-trafficked women. Uh, We have a woman who does laser hair removal, laser tattoo removal, but her passion is gang tattoos and sex-trafficked tattoos, and she does those at no cost. So none of them compete with each other. They're all incredibly talented in completely different fields, but they all share a space. You know, there's a notary public, there is a cleaning company, there is a group that works with CYF when a family is possibly going to lose their children. What support can you provide them with? You have these different women with different passions and talents in the same building learning from each other, leaning on each other. We also have a nonprofit in the building, which is Hoop, which works with families who lost a loved one to gun violence. And they all lean on each other. And it's really, it's been amazing to see them all come together too. Not only individually in their own work, but they promote each other Mm -hmm. because they're not competition to each other.
1: And they've created a community, I am assuming.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, They are amazing. And now we have the dance
0: troupe that's coming back. I'm so excited. I can barely talk about it. There was a local dance troupe in Braddock from, I believe, 2015 to 2018, the Royal Outlaws. They are all kids from the community. They are very serious. They practice really hard. When we learned about them, we knew that they didn't have a practice space. They were practicing in the library without music or outside. And so when we had the opportunity to take on this building we just immediately thought, can we also make this a home for this dance team? So our back room actually was, our back studio was completely created for them. And they practiced in the Hollander for the first year that we were open. But the, basically the the team wasn't able to fund itself. So they weren't able to keep the, the team going and that's just unacceptable. And so we've been working with the coach who wants to bring the team back. So we've been helping her build a budget, um, do fundraising, get sponsorship, but it's so much more than a dance team. I mean, they take the kids on trips, kids who have never been out of Braddock, kids who've never seen the ocean, you know, it's really important. And so I'm sure you can hear the excitement in my voice. They're just so excited. And i we can't wait to have that energy back in the building. You know, the, the, the pandemic definitely took our communal energy down a bit. And so to have these kids back is going to be just so exciting for everybody.
1: Everything that you touch has such bright colors and the, the aesthetics are particularly outstanding. Is there a, is there a reason or is that just chance?
2: I think that you have to feel good in spaces, right? I think there's always like, you see how some communities are designed differently and that's something that's systemic, right? Uh, Spaces in different communities are designed differently. And a lot of times you'd hear like, oh, it's just going to get ruined. So why bother to make it great? And we don't believe that. We believe in making it great. And we believe that everyone deserves to have beautiful, bright, fun, inspiring spaces, I think that's where so much of the the inspiration, the mood, the attitude, it all comes from that. So we really believe in building beautiful things everywhere. And that I think communities rise to support that the communities rise to keep them up, to keep them clean. Uh, So we have a very different perspective on that. So we it's very deliberately done. Um, And we have people constantly who just pull over to take a photo of our art or the color or our signs. I think everyone deserves spaces that feel beautiful.
0: It really just happened. And when we started this and people started hearing about it, people reached out to us. Our mural on the outside of our building was done by this amazing artist, Ashley Hoder, who heard about what we were doing and was like, can I do a mural. We never even asked her what she was drawing. And she drew these three gorgeous, powerful women. And this other muralist, um, we had this group from a local high school of kids from, what were they called again? Global Minds. Kids from 26 different countries countries came in and painted these girl power, woman powered paintings that we have in our space, even before it was done. And It's, you know, what Giselle said is, you know, some people say like, why, why bother? But, you know, we redid our, both of our lots outside the Hollander are beautiful. And I can't wait to show you someday, but people say all the time, well, you have lawn furniture out here. Doesn't it get stolen? No, it's never been stolen. Not to say it couldn't, of course it could, but that's not the point, but literally nothing has ever been stolen. And it's because, you know, it's this community takes pride in itself and it's a beautiful place and people, you know, appreciate it.
1: Giselle, you and John have, have made a very clearly a very deep commitment to Braddock. Can you give us a little bit of an idea about, about that and why you so important?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this is our home. We've had the opportunity to move into other spaces since, you know, when my husband became Lieutenant governor that came with a mansion and a a gardener and a chef. And it was not a difficult decision to stay. I really believe in committing to things, but I think people, you, they need to know that you are here for them. I think that the free store is as successful as it is because we've been consistent like three days a week for the last nine years. We're there. If you need to talk, if you need a hug, if you need food, you know to come. And I think in. In social work, consistency is really important for people to know they can count on you. And for us, I mean, our children were born here, you know, I don't have a fantasy to move out of here. I'm, maybe eventually I will and, you know, start something else eventually. But we're still part of this community. I know who just had a baby. I know who is pregnant. I know who just lost their job. I know who just passed away. And it's much more than my community. It's my extended family here in this country. I think as an immigrant here, I'm always searching for my family, right? My family is in Brazil. I've always been like this longing. And I found that family here. Um, you know, I have 14 godchildren in Braddock, 14. Wow. godchildren. It's insane. But it's such an honor to be a part of these lives and to to be so welcomed. So there's nowhere else I'd rather be.
1: Periodically, when, when we're talking, you always have stories for me that leave me, incredulous is probably too mild a word. These stories that I'm hearing from both of you relate to situations that individuals find themselves in. I know the other day, Kristen, you wrote me, you were supposed to get me something, you didn't get to it. And when we connected, you shared a story about why you couldn't get me this proposal. I was truly struck by the craziness is the only thing, the word I can think of to to describe this. Kristen,
2: was it Goldie that kept you that day?
0: Well, that specific one, and I don't think Goldie would mind me sharing, a friend um, from Braddock called me because her dogs had been shot the night before. She didn't know who else to call. And she said, I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you're busy. You know, I don't know what to do this as an example is something that Giselle and I talk about all the time which is if if that happened to me i think that i would be out of commission for 2 weeks i think that i would be you know i would obviously rush my pets immediately to whatever was open i wouldn't think twice about the cost i you know it would be this this massive thing and for this this specific situation i mean she was so concerned about her pets, who are her best friends, but so many other things as well. Transportation, funding, you know, was so afraid to bring them to this vet because she knew she couldn't afford it. What I'm learning with Giselle has been, you know, I'm, I've am i been about five years in this community and understanding, but it really is just thing after thing after thing. These people and these families are so strong in ways that I never understood before. I live five minutes from Braddock and it is a completely different world. And I mean, literally five minutes. And, you know, my neighbors know what I do and I'll tell them about some of the things I deal with. And they're just like, how is this real, you know? And it's like, it's a community of incredibly strong people that are up against some of the hardest things. I feel honored to get to be a part of it and get to help. I will tell you that I found a place to take the dogs last week that would do their surgeries for free. After this, I'm gonna get to go and see the reunion between my friend and the dogs. That's a happy ending, but it's kind of just beyond my level of comprehension because small things happen in my life and I feel like they're huge things. But I really see huge things constantly. You just keep going. We
2: have Miss Roz, one of the women, one of the grandmothers who's involved with Hoop. Her three kids were killed by gun violence at different times, different places, different cities. Her three boys were killed by gun violence. So she has all the grandkids.
0: And she comes out and she comes to these events and she supports and she, I mean, the respect that we have, people look at people in certain income levels or in certain situations with so much disdain and so much thought that people create this for themselves. And I just, the amount of respect I have for these women, primarily, and, and men, but and these families, it's just, they are so strong. It's hard to imagine some of the things they go through. And it is constant. Yeah. I, it's It never stops.
1: I have to say that the stories that I glean from both of you really do hit me and make me marvel at just what you were describing, the the incredible strength that people have. And the fact that the two of you are so good and so creative in finding ways to address problems that would leave most people with their heads spinning. The compassion that you show is is really, it's stunning. Let's just end up a little bit in talking about the pandemic.
2: We were really the first organization making sure that families had masks locally and sanitizer and toys when we asked families to stay home. You know, the beginning was really hard. I remember Kristen and I were like, oh my God, we're going to have to be stuck home with our kids. How can (laughs) we make it easier for families who don't have as many things to entertain them with? So I think the first thing we did is we reached out to Playmobil which is a children's brand. And we were able to secure a pallet plus of toys. We deliver toys to every home in town who had small kids as like, thank you for being home with them. Here's some things to kind of help make it a little less hard. The free store had to close for a bit. We had to figure out how to safely be able to work again. The free store was designed for us to be on top of each other, hugging each other, loving each other, breathing on each other. And This whole thing that we had built suddenly didn't work anymore as this model. So we closed down for a bit. We had to add an extra exit. We had to create distancing systems and we reopened and we were busier than ever. I think for me, the hardest thing through the free store has been seeing the change in my families. We had a lot of families who were donors who now suddenly were in line. For shopping and we always celebrate when a shopper becomes a donor or a volunteer it's always an exciting thing Um, it was very hard for me seeing it happen the other way Um, so that for me I think was the hardest part was was seeing that change in those families Um, and then at the Hollander we've had a million things happening simultaneously.
0: Yeah, on the Hollander side, I think the the sad part to see is that, you know, in the year we had about a year and a half before the pandemic. And we were doing so much programming for entrepreneurs and for women to advance their careers. So we were doing professional development workshops and marketing workshops and grant writing and all of that. And and, and in person, you know, this is an in-person community. People aren't going to go to a marketing workshop on Zoom quite as readily. So we were together in our space. And once the pandemic hit, we really had to just take a step back from that and switch to meeting immediate need. So you know, we, like Giselle said, we certainly hope to get back to a place where we're being more proactive, but also we were so lucky to be in a position to, to be reactive. So over the course of the pandemic, I mean, we have done so many giveaways. We did, you know, Giant Eagle gift cards to people. We did bus passes. We did um, pet food giveaways and clothing, and we feel lucky to be able to pivot as quickly as we have for what's going on. You know, again, we certainly hope to get back to the more aspirational pieces of our work. For now, we're just doing all we can. And now we're really trying to get folks vaccinated, which is a challenge. But we had a a successful clinic um, a couple weeks ago, and we're definitely going to host another one and just keep going because we want our families to be safe and healthy. So
2: we had a clinic last week. Was it last week already? Yeah. It was last week. And, you know, Kristen and I have been hitting the drum on this, of course, but we're like, how, like, we need more people to to talk about this. So we, one of the young girls that we work with, she was the Braddock Youth Project, which was the the summer employment program John started years ago. And then she worked with us at the Hollander. She helped design that space. And, you know, I was good friends with her mother. Her mother died of COVID three months ago and left behind four kids, including Michaela. And Michaela was in college at the dorms, which was her dream. She had to withdraw. She's now at home doing like community college online to help raise her siblings. And I invited her to speak with me at the press conference and uh, she was very nervous, but she did an amazing job. And And she shared, you know, she's like, my mom was, she was gonna go next week. She was gonna go the next week and she was going the next week and it, she never went. And she got sick and died and left behind four kids. And Michaela's is this young, beautiful, thriving kid who now her life has completely changed. And now she has all these responsibilities that she shouldn't have. That's someone people can really see and connect with. And we hope that that will convince more people to to get it.
0: There's 130 municipalities in our county and Braddock is the lowest vaccination rate. Everything
1: that the Good People Fund stands for, you guys really do represent. The most significant part of it is that we are really, we're betting on Kristen and Giselle. The rest of it is secondary, but your passion is what really inspires us and that's what comes through. So you know, there was no question in my mind that this was a great investment of our donors' money, but I want to thank you both for spending some time this morning. Cannot wait to get there in person. And thank you again.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you.